Hi, this is Sam. And this is Anuel. And this is Murderous Intention. Hey guys, so we've been gone for like about two weeks. I would either two weeks, I think. Two weeks. Um well, technically one, one episode we missed of last week, um, and that was because, unfortunately, after our Virginia Tech, um, as you guys remember, I had a cold, I ended up losing my voice and getting laryngitis, um, so I couldn't talk, and as we all know, NUO is a very kind person and was had texted me and said, he was not going to do the show by himself. He wanted it to be where we stay continuously together in this process. Um, so I appreciate having a lovely co-star like him. I mean, co-host like him. <laughs> um, and as you can tell, um, I'm still a little bit of raunchy on my voice. Um, but we're here. And this is going to be a double feature. So after this podcast, you're going to get... What is supposed to be? Well, okay, so this podcast is supposed to be last week's podcast, and then you're gonna get this week's podcast as well. So you're gonna get a double feature. Um, okay. So I'm gonna hand it over to Nuel, and you can proceed. Okay. Um. So today we're discussing the Columbine High School massacre. Since um November, we're doing um school shootings. Um. I don't have a lot of background because if I went into the background, it could be a podcast by itself. So I didn't want to do that. So um, Ed David Ed David Harris, um, born April 9, nineteen eighty one, was born in Wichita, Kansas. The Harris family relocated often, as Harris' father was a U.S. Air Force transport pilot. That's good because my son's not not well. I like the U.S. Air Force part since my son is in the Air Force, so kind of connects for me. So I really like it. You know, from the beginning, I liked this story. Not what happened, but you know how it starts. Um, his mother was a homemaker. The family moved from Plattsburgh, New York, to Littleton, Colorado, in July 1993, when his retired when his father retired from military service. The Harris family lived in rented accommodations for the first three years and they lived in Littleton area. During this time, he attended Chen Carl Middle School and Harris met Cliff Bolt in 1996. The Harris family purchased a house south of CHS, which I'm guessing is the high school. His older brother attended college at the University of Colorado, Colorado Boulder. And then Dylan Bennett Clebold, was born on September 11, 1981, was born in Lakewood, Colorado. His parents were pacifists and attended a Lutheran church with their, with their children. Both Dylan and his older brother, Byron, attended confirmation classes in accordance with the Lutheran tradition, as had been the case for his older brother. <coughs> Clebold was named after a renowned poet. In his case, in his case, the playwright David um, Dylan Thomas. Okay. At the family home, the Cleveland also observed some rituals in keeping with Cleveland's 
maternal grandfather's Jewish heritage. Cleveland attended Normandy Elementary in Littleton, Colorado for the first two grades before jumping to Governor's Ranch Elementary and became part of the CHIPS, Challenging High Intellectual Potential Students Program. Oh, wow. Transition to Ken Carl Middle School, difficult. Sorry. I said, oh, wow. Like, yeah. so he was highly intelligent. Yeah, it's like, I'm on a class of five. Okay. You know, Hamilton Cleveland often wore black baseball caps, as was typical in the 1990s. They wore them backwards. Harris wore a KF, to me, KMFDM cap, and apparently did not wear it during the massacre. Cleveland's cap had a Colorado Avalanche logo on the front and a Boston Red Sox logo sewn on the back. Okay. okay. Um, that's, that's two different worlds. Um, mix into one. Mix into one half, yeah. Okay, so um, according to their journals and videotape, it is believed by investigators that the pair intended to detonate their propane bombs in, ca in the cafeteria at the busiest lunch hour, killing hundreds of students. Mm. After this, they would shoot and stab survivors as well as lob bombs. I'm selling their cars in the in the parking lot, but also eventually detonate killing more students as well as possibly any police officers, paramedics, firemen, or reporters who had come to the school. However, these failed to occur since the bombs in the cafeteria and cars failed to detonate. Several official sources claim they planned to shoot the fleeing survivors from the parking lot or move to the staircase on the hill at the west side of the school when the bombs failed. Other sources claim the top of the staircase where the, where the massacre began was the preferred spot to wait for the bombs to go off all along. A total of 188 rounds of ammunition was fired by the perpetrators during the massacre, firing nearly twice as much as, firing nearly twice as much as cable. Harris fired his carbon rifle a total of 96 times and discharged his shotgun 25 times. Cleveland fired the Tech 9 handgun 55 times and 12 rounds from his double barrel shotgun. Law enforcement officers fired 141 rounds during exchanges of gunfire with the shooter. Um, yeah. On Tuesday morning, on Tuesday morning, um, April 20th, 1999, Harrison Cleveland faced two duffel bags in the cafeteria. Each bag contained cocaine bombs, set to detonate during the A lunch shift, which began at 11.15 a.m. Uh -huh. No witness recalled seeing the duffel bag being added to the, to the 400 or so backpacks that were already in the cafeteria. The security staff at CHS did not observe the bags being placed in the cafeteria. A custodian was replaced in the school security tape at around 11.14 a.m. Shortly after the massacre, police escalated, excuse me, police speculated that bombs were placed during this tape change. They also investigated whether the bombs were placed during the after-prom party held the prior weekend. Some internet sleuths claim the bomb placement can be seen on the surveillance video at around 10.58 a.m. Jeffco Sheriff's Deputy Neil Gardner 
was assigned to the high school as a full-time school resource officer. Mm -hmm. Gunner usually ate lunch with students in the cafeteria, but on April 20th, he was eating lunch in the patrol car at the northwest corner of the campus, watching um, students in the smoker's pit in Clement Park and meadow adjacent to the school. Two backpacks filled with pipe bombs, aerosol canisters, and small propane bombs were also placed in the field about three miles south of CHS and two miles south of the fire station. The bombs were intended as a diversion to draw firefighters and emergency personnel away from the school. Only the pipe bombs and one of the aerosol canisters detonated, causing a small fire, which is quickly extinguished by the fire department. It went off after first having been moved. Bomb um, technicians immediately examined the bomb, bomb excuse me, and, relied, and relayed to police at the school that possi the possibility of the devices was motion activated. Hmm. Harris and Kribo changed clothes and returned separately to CHS. Harris parked his vehicle in the junior student parking lot and Klebold parked in the adjoining senior student parking lot. The school cafeteria was their primary bomb target. The cafeteria had a long outside window wall, ground level door, and was just north of the senior parking lot. So they had all this time. Like, they didn't say, oh, let's just do it today. You know, there was a plan in place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The library was located above the cafeteria in the second story of the window wall. Each car contained bombs as Harris pulled into the parking lot. He encountered um, classmates, Brooks Brown, with whom he had recently hashed up a long-standing series of disputes. According to Brown, who was smoking a cigarette, he was surprised to see Harris, whom he earlier noted had been absent from a class test. Brown confront, uh, confronted Harris about missing the test, Harris seemed unconcerned, commenting, it doesn't matter anymore. Harris went on. Brooks, I like I like you. I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. Brown feeling uneasy and already prepared to skip his next class, walked away down South Pier Street. Meanwhile, Harrison traveled on themselves, using straps and webbing to um, conceal weapons beneath black trench coats. They locked backpacks mm -hmm. and duffel bags that were filled with pipe bombs and ammunition. Harris had also had his shotgun in one of the bags beneath trench coat, beneath, beneath trench coat. Harris wore a homemade band oil and a white t-shirt that read natural selection in black letters. Klebold wore a black t-shirt that read Rats and red letters. The cafeteria bombs failed to detonate. Had these bombs exploded with full power, they could have killed or severely wounded all of the 488 students in the cafeteria and possibly made the ceiling collapse by destroying the pillars holding it up during the library into the cafeteria. Shooting begins. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, the good thing was at least they let that brown kid go. But it's just like there was a lot of planning, not not 
completely the best planning, but there was a lot of planning to ex to try to get this executed. Because they had So that was smart of him. Yeah, I mean the best thing to the best thing to do is just if they think they killed you, they're not gonna, you know, come back, you know, try to chase you down. Um Kribold walked down the steps toward the cafeteria. He came up to Lance Kirkland, who was already wounded and laying on the ground, weakly um calling for help. Kribold said, Sure, I'll help you and shot Kirkland in the face with the shotgun. Although gravely injured, Kirkman would survive. Oh. Grace satellites beneath the waist had called into the doorway of the cafeteria west entrance and collapsed. He rubbed blood on his face and played dead. After shooting Tucker and Trumbull walked towards the cafeteria door, he then stepped over the injured Grace to enter the cafeteria. Grace remembers Cable saying, Sorry, dude. That's crazy. Just sorry, dude. It's like, why say sorry when you you did it and you knew you were going to do this anyway? You know? Exactly. There's no, I mean, they were reckless. That's, that's, I'll start there. Yeah, I'll just say that. They were reckless and they really didn't care over remorse at all. True. 
Um, yeah. Tribal only briefly entered the cafeteria and did not shoot at the several people still inside. Officials speculated that people went to check on the propane bomb. Adams was still on the top of the stairs shooting and severely wounded and partially paralyzed 17-year-old Anne-Marie Otarster as, as she tried to flee. Tribal came out of the cafeteria and went back to back up the stairs to join Harry. They shot at students standing close to a soccer field, but did not hit anyone. They walked towards the west entrance, throwing pipe bombs in several directions, including onto the roof. A few of these pipe bombs detonated. Witnesses heard one of them say, this is what we always wanted to do. This is awesome. <laughs> <coughs> Take the ear out of my chest. <laughs> and you were feeling good before this. So, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm still recuperating from a lot of this stuff, um, and it's just mostly it's my voice. So normally, my whenever I'm trying to speak, I gotta cough just to like mm -hmm. get back, um, which I'm doing yeah. less of. But this is just it's madness, you know. Meanwhile, our teacher Patty Nielsen was inside the school. She had noticed a common, excuse me, um, and noticed a commotion and walked towards the west entrance with student Brian Anderson. Nielsen had intended to walk outside to tell the two students not get off, thinking they were either filming a video or pulling a student prank. As Anderson opened the first set of, do of double doors, the gunman shot out the window, injuring him with flying glass. Nielsen was hitting the shoulder with shrapnel. Anderson and Nielsen ran back down the uh, hall into the library, and Nielsen alerted the students inside to the danger, telling them to get under the desk and keep silent. She downed 911 and hit under the library administrative counter. Anderson fell to the floor, bleeding from his injuries, and hid inside the magazine room adjacent to the library. At 11.22, a custodian called Deputy Neil Gardner assigned resource officer to Columbine on the school radio requesting assistance in the senior parking lot. The only paved route took him around the school to the east and south of Pierce Street, where at 11.23 a.m. he heard on his police radio that a female was down and assumed she had been struck by a car. While exiting his patrol car in the senior lot at 11.24, he had another call on the school radio. Neil, there's a shooter in the school. Harris at the west entrance immediately turned and fired 10 shots from the from his carabine at Garner, who was 60 yards away. As Harris reloaded their carabine, Garner leaned over the top of his car and fired four rounds at Harris from his service pistol. Harris ducked back behind the building and Garner most, um, momentarily believed that he had hit him. Harris then re-emerged and fired at four, excuse me, fired at least four more rounds at Garner, which missed and struck the park fire before retreating into the building. No one was hit during the exchange of gunfire. Garner reported on his police radio, shots in the building, I need someone in the south lot with me. By this point, Harris had shot 47 times, 
and Cleve Road just five. The shooters then enter the school through the west entrance, moving along the main north hallway, throwing pipe bombs and shooting at anyone they encounter. Um, Cleve shot Stephanie Munson in the ankle, but she was able to walk out of the school. The pair then shot out the windows to the east entrance of the school. After proceeding through the hail step, um, through the hall, excuse me, several times, and shooting toward and missing any students they saw, they went toward the west entrance and turned into the library hallway. Deputy Paul Smoker and Paul Nagger, motorcycle patrolman for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, were writing a chapter ticket north of the school when the female down came, call came in at 11:23. Taking the shortest route, they dropped their motorcycles over grass between the athletic field and headed towards the west entrance. When they saw Deputy Scott Kabitsky, Rick Starley, and Kevin Walker following them in the patrol car, they abandoned their motorcycles for the safety of the car. The six deputies began to rescue two wounded students near the ball fields when another gunfight broke out at 1126. As Harris returned to the double doors and gained, and again began shooting at Deputy Gardner, who returned fire from the hilltop, Deputy Smoker fired three rounds from his pistol at Harris, who again retreated into the building as before. No one was hit. Inside the school cafeteria, <laughs> David Sanders and two custodians, John Curtis and Jay Galantine, initially told students to get under the tables then successfully evacuated students up the staircase leading to the second floor of the school. The stairs were located around the corner from the library hallway in the main south hallway. Sanders then tried to secure as much of the school as he could. By now, Harris and Cleveland were inside the main hallway. Sanders and another student were down at the end of the hallway but he gestured for students in the library to stay. They encountered Harris and Cleveland who were approaching from the corner of the north hallway. Sanders and the student turned and ran into the opposite direction. Harris and Cleveland shot at them both, with Harris hitting Sanders twice in the back and neck, hitting his teeth on exit, but missing the student. The latter the latter ran into a science classroom and warned everyone to hide. Cleveland walked over towards Sanders, where I collapsed and tossed the pipe bomb, and returned to Harris up the library hallway. Sanders struggled towards the science area, and the teacher took him into a classroom where 30 students were located. Due to his knowledge of first aid, student Aaron Hansey was brought to the classroom from another teacher despite the unfolding commotion. With the assistance of a fellow student named Kevin Starkey and teacher Teresa Miller, Nancy administered first aid to Sanders for three hours, attempted to stem the blood loss using shirts from students in the room, and showing his picture from his wallet to keep him talking. Using a phone in the room, Miller and several students maintained contact with police outside the school. As the shooting, as the shooting unfolded, pipe bombs were tossed into the hallway and down into the cafeteria. Heidi Nielsen in the library for 911 first story and urged students in the library to take cover beneath desks.
according to the transcript, a call was received by 911 operator at 11.25 and 18 seconds a.m. Yes. As I took a drink of um <coughs> I, I it was you can by hearing this you can see like they were on a mission. They they were going for what they were It's 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 very brutal the fact that young minds had coordinated this kind of action and was putting it into play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, like you said, it's a position. You would think that they were a military um, personnel doing this, you know? Like, going through the hallways, like, information, and, yeah, it's like crazy. They knew exactly how they were doing it. They mapped it out. I, I would think that it took them at least a month to plan, if not more. Yeah, and the way it sounds, it kind of sounds like, you know, and no, it's nothing against a game or anything like that, but it's like when you're playing Call of Duty and you're playing Halo, where you're having to go and make sure that to be able to get into the next area, you got to clear that one room, you know, that kind of basically sounds... um. That sounds basically how they're they're doing their movements, you know. They don't move from one spot until they got it cleared, and then they go to the next, you know. And they throw pipe bombs just to kind of like get that hurry up clearance, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then they say that games are good for children. They wait. Say that again. And they say that um, having them interact with games, you know, for a certain amount of time, is good. But when you have, when games show you things like that, because a lot of people, you know, before this, um, a lot of, probably not before this, but after this, people playing the games like that yeah. before these things, you know. But at the same time, it. now we have it where um, their games are where it's like, it's only suited for mature. So if you're letting your child play that game, knowing that it's, you know, suited for mature adults, I'm sorry, but I feel like then you're at full as well. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So at 11.29 a.m., Harris and Creeble entered the library. 22 students, two teachers, and two librarians were inside. Harris fired his shotgun twice at a desk. Student Evan Todd had been standing near a pillar when the shooter entered the library and had just taken cover behind a copier. Todd was hit by wooden splinters in the eye and lower back, excuse me, but was not seriously injured. He then hid behind the administrative's administrative counter. The gunman walked into the library towards the two rows of computers, sitting at the north row. Was the same, um, Sitting at the north row was a disabled student, Cal Velasquez. Creeble fired his shot, his shotgun, barely hitting him in the head and back. They put down their ammunition-filled duffel bags at the south or lower row of the of computers and reloaded their weapons. 
then walk between the computer rows towards the window facing the outside staircase. Throughout the massacre in the library, they ordered everybody to get up, saying that the library was going to explode. They said how long they had been waiting for this and seemed to be enjoying themselves, shooting things like, shouting things like Yahoo at the shooting while ordering the jocks to stand up. One of the two said, anybody with a white hat or a sports emblem on it is dead. Wearing a white baseball cap at, at Columbine was a tradition among sports team members. Nobody stood up and several students tried to hide their white hats. Windows were shut out in the direction of the recently arrived police. Officers returned fire and the gunman retreated from the windows. No one was injured. Klebo removed his trench coat. He then fired his shotgun at a nearby table, injuring three students. Patrick Island, Dan, um, Daniel Eaglinton, and Mayeka Hall. Harris walked towards the lower wall of the computer desk with his shotgun and fired a single shot under the first desk. While down on one knee, he had 14-year-old Severn Cornell with a mortal wound to the neck. He then moved to the adjacent computer desk and you 17-year-old Casey, I cannot say that name. Rusegger? I'm sorry. Rusegger, right. Rusegger, yeah. Now that you said that, I remember Rusegger. With the shot, which passed completely through her right shoulder. Also grazing her neck and severing a major, severing a major artery. When she started gasping in pain, Harris said, Quit your bitching. Oh, no, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, he, she, he just saw her, but because say, quit your bitching. That's crazy. Harris then walked to a table south of the lower computer table with two students underneath. Casey Burnell and Emily Wyatt. Harris slapped the surface of their table twice as he knelt and said, Peekaboo! before shooting Burnell once in the head with the shotgun, killing her. Harris, at, at this point, held the gun with one hand and the weapon in his, fa um, his face and recoil, injuring his nose. He told people he had done so, and people responded, why you do that? After finishing shooting Burnell, Harris turned toward the next table where Bree Pasquale sat next to the table rather than under it. Harris' nose was bleeding. Witnesses later reported that he had blood around his mouth. Harris asked Pasquale if she wanted to die, and she responded with a plea for her life. Harris laughed and responded, everyone's going to die. When Kibo said, shoot her, Harris responded, no, we're going to blow up the school anyway. Like, really? <laughs> Their mindset is just, it's like, what the French? What the French? You know? Seriously. People um, noticed Ireland trying to provide aid to Hall, who, who had suffered a wound to his knee. As Ireland tried to help Hall, his head rose above the table. People shot him a second time, hitting him to twice in the head and once in the foot. Alan was knocked unconscious but survived. Cleveland then walked towards another table where he discovered 18-year-old 
Isaiah Scholes, 16-year-old Matthew Kessner, and and 16-year-old Craig Scott, Rachel's younger brother, hitting underneath. People called out to Harris that he found a nigger and tried to pull Scholes out from under the table. Harris left Pasquale and joined him. According to witnesses, they talked to Scholes for a few seconds, making the derogatory Rachel or racial comment, excuse me. The gunmen both fired under the table, having shot Scholes once in the chest, killing him, and Cabo shot and killed Eschner. Though Scholes was not shot in the head, Cabo said, I didn't know black brains could fly that far. Meanwhile, I see your face. What? I, I, I just want to say, one, he's a jackass. Two, he's a stupid idiot, okay? And that's just being nice about it, okay? And I'm only being nice because he's, at the end of the day, these are all fucking kids, and I don't care now because, yo, seriously, this is ridiculous. Like, bad enough, you're freaking killing innocent people who did nothing really to you. Now you're going to use racial slurs at kids who are like, yo, you actually have the upper hand because you got a gun, in your hand, and yet you're gonna go and give me a racist. Mm, the... I'm gonna let you finish. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, Scott was uninjured <coughs> in the blood of his friends, feigning death. Harris then yelled, Who's ready to die next? He turned and threw a cricket at the table where Hawks, Steepleton, and Ireland were located. It landed on Steepleton's tie, on thigh, excuse me. Hulk quickly noticed it and tossed it behind them, and it exploded in mid-air. Harris walked toward the bookcases between the west and center section of tables in the library. He jumped on one and shook it, apparently attempting to topple it, and shot at the book, books which had fallen. Seabolt walked to the east area of the library. Harris walked from the book from the bookcase past the central area to meet Seabolt. The, la- the later shot. At a display, they laid a shot at a display case next to the door. They turned and shot toward the clo- um, closet table, closest table, excuse me, hitting and injuring 17-year-old Mark Kenton in the head and shoulder. He then turned toward the table to his left and fired, injuring 18-year-old Lisa Crooks, Lauren Townsend, and Belene Schur with the same shotgun blast. People then moved toward the same table and fired several shots with the Tech 9 killing Townsend. At this point, the seriously injured Baleen Sher began, began screaming, Oh my God, oh my God, in response, people like Sher that she believed in the existence of God. When Shanur replied she did, people asked why and commented, God is gay. People reloaded but walked away from the table. They were like a lot of people, huh? Yeah. They... <sighs> All I can do is shake my head in disbelief yeah. that they just callously just was doing all this and not giving two craps about anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and- <coughs> Absolutely, didn't 
care about you know anything or anybody. No, it was yeah. all it was all a number game to them. Yeah. And they still I mean, as you heard, they still intended to blow up the school, so they didn't care how many people they killed. The school was gonna go up anyway, but they didn't really matter. Well in their head they thought that that was how it was gonna go. approached another table where two girls were hiding. He bent down to look at them and dismissed them as pathetic. Harris then moved to another table where he fired twice, injuring 16-year-old Nicole Melvin and John Tomlin. Tomlin moved out from under the table. People shot him repeatedly, killing him. Harris then walked back over to the other side of the table where Tomlin, excuse me, <coughs> where Tomlin lay dead. Behind the table, 16-year-old named Kelly Fleming had like three Pascal sat next to the table rather than beneath it due to the lack of space. Harris shot Fleming with his shotgun, hitting her in the back and cutting her. He shot at the table behind Fleming, hitting Townsend, who, who was already dead. Caught again and wounding 18-year-old Jenna Park. The shooters moved to the center of the library where they reloaded their weapons at a table. Harris then pointed his carbine under the table, but the student he was aiming at moved out of the way. Harris turned his gun back on the student and told him to identify himself. It was John Savage, an acquaintance of Feeble. He asked Feeble what they were doing, to which he shrugged and answered, Oh, just killing people. Savage asked if they were going to kill him, possibly because of a, because of a firearm. People said, What? Savage asked again. But they were going to kill him. They were said no and told him to run. Tyrus fled, escaping through the library's main entrance. So he was a friend of his, so he got to live. Yeah, I, I have no words. I'm 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 Yeah. Yeah. People people can't see all the movements you're doing. This is a podcast, not, not YouTube. I know, but it's it's just, it's like, sometimes there's things you just can't, like, you can't say, and it's like, it's like you gotta move something in your body, because if not, you're gonna just, like, have pent up in you. Close to where Todd had moved after having been wounded. Keep 
when you're failing at it twice already, why continue? You know? Yeah, I mean, the Molotov cocktail looks like it's a, from what I remember, it's, it's a bottle with that gasoline and a little cough. Yeah. That they fired. So, I mean, that didn't even really work. I guess the gasoline stopped the fire. I don't even think, well, the, the sprinklers, I guess the school had a really awesome um, sprinkler system because oh, yeah. it was able to just, like, say, Psh, done, you know, to it. Yeah. So. And it, didn't take, and it didn't take long to activate once, they, once the sprinkler smelled the smoke. Which and is then, good. You know, it turned on the sprinkler quick, you know. So. Yeah. After leaving the cafeteria, they returned to the main north and south hallway of the school and fired several shots into walls and ceilings as students and teachers hid in rooms. They walked through the south hallway into the main office before returning to the north hallway. At 11.56, they returned to the cafeteria and briefly entered the school kitchen. They returned up the st uh, staircase into the south hallway at 12 p.m. Okay. They re-entered the library, which was empty of the rabbits except for the unconscious actor Marilyn and the injured Lisa Croft. Once inside at 12.02, police were shot at again through the library window and returned fire. Nobody was injured in the exchange. By 12.05, all gunfire from the school had ceased. By 12.08, Paul Coleman had... Blah, blah, blah. Let me start that again. Yeah. By 12.08, Paul Coleman had killed himself. Harry sat down with his back to a bookshop and fired his shotgun through the roof of his mouth. People went down on his knees and shot himself in the left temple with his tech nine. An article by the Rocky Mountain News stated that Patty Nielsen overheard them, them shout, one, two, three, in unison, just before a loud boom. However, Nielsen claimed that she had not, she had never spoken with either of them, either of the writers of this article. So they just put her name out there without her acknowledgement or saying, you know, she didn't even tell them anything, so they just, you know, which is kind of weird. Well, a lot of people were saying that, um, and I don't know if it maybe was it was a rumor or whatever, but it's like it was always heard that they would kill themselves on three. Uh, yeah. You know, and it wouldn't put it past them because, as you can tell, it's like they pre-planned everything. Why not pre-plan this, you know, by saying... Let's do, let's kill ourselves on three, you know? Yeah, I mean, as much as I feel that that's, if, if, if you have all the planning and you feel, I'm going to say man enough not to, I'm not trying to curse today. Um, I did. man enough to, to, you know, okay, so if you, if you had the boss to do all this, why not have the boss to get arrested, tried, and killed, because that's what, I guess it's like, I'm going to get the murder man now, I kill myself. Yeah, it's basically, and it was also, it's easier to take your own life than to have to sit there and know that you have to now face what you did, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the one thing that people that do this never never really want to do it. Have to sit there here 
what happened and all that, you know, and it's cowardice because it is cowardice that they kill themselves instead of, you know, having, having a jury try them, but, you know, it's better than, at least they know what's coming instead of what, you know, who knows if the death penalty or whatever, you know, who knows what, especially in 1999 in Colorado, who knows if there was actually the, um, injection of the gas chamber or whatever it was. So, yeah. You know, probably easier to eat a bullet than, you know, go through any of that. True. Okay, so continuing on. In uh, 2002, the National Enquirer published two post-mortem photos of Harris and Clebold in the library. Clebold's gun was underneath his body and though unseen in the photo, leading to speculation that Harris shot Clebold before killing himself. However, some of Clebold's blood was on Harris's leg. Also, just before shooting himself, Clebold made a Molotov cocktail on a nearby table, underneath which Patrick Allen would, would lay which caused the tabletop to monetarily catch fire. Underneath this scorched film of material was a piece of Harris's brain matter, suggesting Harris had shot himself by this point. So, Patrick's death. Now, yeah. I, I think these, there's some things that I took out of this because this going to be way too long. Yeah. So, um, I want to, you know, say that ahead of time. So by um, 12 p.m., 12 teams were stationed outside the school and ambulance started taking the wounded to local hospitals. A call for additional ammunition for police officers in case of a shootout came at 12.20. Authorities reported five pounds by 1 p.m. and two SWAT teams entered the school and one on earth, moving from classroom to classroom, discovering hiding um, hidden students and faculty. They entered at the end of the school, opposite the library, hampered by old maps and unaware of new wing had recently been added. They were also hampered by the, the second, excuse me, by the sound of the firearms. And uh, meanwhile, families of students and staff were asked to gather at nearby Lake um, Wood Elementary School. I thought I said Lake Wood, but <laughs> to await information. <laughs> I think I've been reading too many words. That's what it is. It probably is. Yeah. <laughs> all students, teachers, and school employees were taken away, questioned, and offered medical care in small holding areas before being bused to meet their family members at Leavenwood Elementary. Some of the victims' families were told to wait on one final school bus that never came. Um, Patrick Ireland had regained and lost consciousness several times after being shot by people. Paralyzed on his right side, he called to the library window where on live television at 2.30 p.m., he stretched out the window intending to fall into the arms of two SWAT team members standing on the roof of an emergency vehicle. But instead, falling directly onto the vehicle's roof in a pool of blood, he became known as the boy in the window. The team members, Dan Kramer and John Remenich, were later criticized for allowing Ireland to jump more than seven feet to the ground while doing nothing to try to ensure he could and lower by the, to the ground safely or break his fall. So this guy is paralyzed mm -hmm. on one side. He has enough energy to open the window. The 12 team that's on top of a, let's say, ambulance. We don't know what it was. 
doesn't seem to himself that they'll catch him. He lands on the roof, and there's a pool of blood. So I'm guessing he's dead. Ten feet. I'm not yeah. sure, being honest, because this boy seems to have like some willpower in him that is letting him go through with this stuff. But yeah. one thing for sure I can say, it's hard if you're a couple feet away um, to actually determine if you can catch somebody. But they, people also have to remember the mindset at that moment was they see a child and their their mindset is however we can get him out, however he can get out, is better than being in there and possibly dying. Because they, at that time, they don't really know, you know, that these two idiots took their life, you know? So... Right, yeah, right. And this is before any real um, school shooting things came out. Like, they weren't prepared for school shootings before that. I don't think they were prepared for this kind of magnitude. Like, majority right. of the school shooting was just, like, you shot the person or the teacher that you didn't like, and that was that, yeah, that you know? Yeah, yeah, that was it, yeah. Columbine brought it to a whole new level. Right. Um, which, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so at 2.15, students place a sign in the window, one bleeding to death in order to alert police and medical personnel of Dave Sanders located in the science room. Police initially feared it was a ruse by the shooter. A shirt was also tied to the doorknob. At 2.30, this was spotted, and by 2.40, SWAT officers evacuated the room of students and called for a paramedic. Tensi and Starkey were reluctant to leave Sanders behind. By 3 p.m., the SWAT officers had moved Sanders to a storage room, which is more easily accessible. At the distance, a paramedic arrived and found Sanders had no pulse. He had died of his injuries in the storage room before he could receive medical care. He was the only teacher to die in the shooting. Wow. So, we, we, we got to go back a little bit. Okay. At 2.15, these students placed the sign say one bleeding to death. Yeah. Okay. Like anybody, they were scared that this was a ruse. So yeah. They could come in and they'd get shot or killed. Um, at 2.30... The SWAT team, I'm guessing, spotted it. And by 2.40, the SWAT um, officers evacuated the room. Then by 3 o'clock, 45 minutes later, the SWAT officers moved Sanders to the storage room. And then the, the, the paramedics are called in. Like, if he's bleeding to that, 45 minutes is way too long. It's, see, I understand where we would see it as now, um, it being like, this is way too long, but we also have to remember at that time and that mindset, they're trying to not have it where there's more body count, where there's more injuries. So unfortunately, you know, it was, it was take precaution prior to doing that, you know, go into quick response mode, you know. Unfortunately, it yeah. did cost it, this man his life, you know. That's crazy. I mean, and, and that's, 
nowadays, twerking goes in. Like, they want to stop it before it even gets started. Yeah. Which, you know, this was 1999 when this happened. So it's been, what, 21 years now? Going on 22 already, so. Yeah. Okay, so, um, Lisa Kraut shot in the shoulder, arms, hand, and thigh, remained laying in the library. She had tried to move but became lightheaded. Kraut kept track of time by the sound of the um, school's bells until police arrived. Kraut was finally evacuated at 3.22 p.m., along with Patty Nielsen, Brian Anderson, and the three library staff who were hidden in the rooms adjacent to the library. Officials found the bodies in in the library at by 3 30. Okay. By 4 p.m., Sheriff John E. Stone made an initial estimate of 25 dead students and teachers, 50 wounded, and referred to the massacre as a suicide mission. President Bill Clinton later issued a statement. Um, Stone said that the police officers were searching the bodies of the gunmen. They feared they had used their pipe bombs to over trapped corpses, including their own. At 4.30 p.m., the, the school was declared safe. At 5.30, additional officers were called in as more explosives were found in the parking lot and on the roof. By 6.15, officials have found a bomb in people's car in the parking lot, set to detonate the gas tank, known then marked the entire school as a crime scene. Wow. This took a whole uh, anyway, let me finish this last um, paragraph. At 10.40, a member of the bomb squad who was attempting to dispose of an undetonated pipe bomb accidentally lit a striking match attached to the bomb by brushing it against the wall of the ordinance's disposal trailer. The bomb detonated inside the trailer, but no one was injured. The bomb squad disrupted the car, the car bomb Tribo's car was repaired and in twenty in two thousand six put up for auction. Um they were kind of, I mean, I understand that speaking twenty years, twenty one years later. Mm -hmm. But they were kinda of stupid when it came to stuff like this. Like it took them they arrived at the it was about four thirty, four o'clock. Yeah. But the, the, the gunmen killed themselves at 1208. It took them a very long time to get into that school and, and get about, you know, live or dead. Yeah. That is nuts. Okay, so, um, immediate aftermath. On the morning of April 24th, um, there goes with the words again. On the morning of April 21st, um, bomb squad come to high school. By 8.30 a.m., the official death toll of 15 was released. The other estimate was 10 over the two death toll counts, but close to the total count of all wounded students. Um, the total count of deaths was 12 students, 14 including the shooters, and one teacher. 20 students and one teacher were injured as a result of the shootings. Two more victims were injured indirectly as they tried to escape the school. It was then the worst um, school shooting in U.S. history. So, 
Athenian, the banks start declared the building safe of poor fishes to Wednesday. By 11.30 a.m., a spokesman of the sheriff declared the investigation underway. 13 of the bodies were still inside the high school as investigators photographed the building. Um, at 2.30, the press conference was held by Jeff Cole, District Attorney David, um, David Thomas and Sheriff John yeah. Stone. I wish they said <coughs> that they suspected us had helped plan the shooting. Formal identification of the dead had not yet taken place. The families of the children thought to have been killed have been notified. Um, throughout the late afternoon and early evening, the bodies were gradually removed from the school and taken to Jeff Cole coroner's office to be identified and autopsied. By 5 p.m., the names of many of the dead were known. An official statement was released, naming the 15 confirmed deaths and 27 injuries related to the massacre. On April 22nd, the cafeteria bonds were discovered. So what, a whole two days later? Yeah. In the days in the days following the shooting, Richard Scott's car and John Thomas truck became memorial. And into memorial were held in Clement Park. On April 30th, um, Carpenter Greg Dennis directed 15 six-foot-tall wooden crosses to honor those who had died at the school. Um, Daniel Huckleberg's father cut down the two men um, for the gunmen. There were also 15 trees planted, and he cut down two of those as well. I like him. He's like, we're not remembering the shooters. Exactly. <laughs> Let's, okay, so I'm cutting out some of this because I think it's going to be too long. Okay. Um, so classes at Columbine were held at nearby Chatfield Senior High for the remaining three weeks of the 1999 school year. In August 1999, students returned to school. The principal, Frank DeAngelis, led a rally of students clad in we are colorblind shirts. Okay. Um, six months later, after the shooting, Anne Marie Hochheister, mother, killed herself. Several former students and teachers suffer from PTSD. Greg Barnes, a 17 year old student who had witnessed Sanders' shooting, committed suicide in May 2000. Survivor Austin Eubanks, who was injured during the shooting, became heavily medicated developing an opioid uh, addiction, eventually overcoming and later speaking publicly about the addiction. Uberx died from an accidental overdose in 2009 at the age of 37. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's crazy. You know, that people would die even after, because of what happened that day. Yeah. All right, so. The shooting was planned as a terrorist attack that would cause the most deaths in U.S. history, but the motive had never been ascertained with a degree of certainty. Soon after the massacre, it was thought Harris and people targeted jocks, blacks, and Christians. Both sought to provide answers in the journals and videotapes, but investigate, investigators found them lacking. In the letter provided with, with the May 15 report on the Columbine attack, Sheriff John Stone and under Sheriff John A. Dunaway wrote, they cannot answer the most fundamental question, why? On May 3rd, 1999, an issue of Newsweek was dedicated to the massacre with the covering asking why in large print. Mm. So, the 
FBI concluded that the killers were victims of mental health. The Hammers was a clinic, clinical psychopath. And Peebles was depressing. Dr. Dwayne Fusser, the supervisor in charge of the Colorblind investigation, would later remark, I believe Eric went to school to kill and didn't care if he died. While Dylan wanted to die and didn't care if others died as well. In 1998, a year prior to the shooting, Harris wrote a letter of apology to the owner of the van as part of the of his diversion program. Around the same time, he divides him in his journal, saying that he believed himself to have the right to steal something if he wanted to. By far the most prevalent theme in Cleveland's journal in his wish for suicide and private despair as his lack of success with women, which he refers to as an infinite sadness. People have repeatedly documented his desire to kill himself and his final remark in the basement tapes shortly before the attack is a resigned statement made as he glances away from the camera. Just now, I'm going to do, to me, just now, I'm going to a better place. I don't like life too much. was used by David Cullen for his 2009 book, Columbine. Harris was depicted as the mastermind, having a messianic level superiority complex and hoping to demonstrate his superiority to the world. People was a follower who primarily participated in the massacre as a means to simply end his life. This theories have been met with criticism. Critics cite the fact that Cleveland, not Harris, was the first to mention a killing spree in the journal. They also cite evidence that Harris was depressed as well, such as his prescription of antidepressants mentioned below. Um, there's other theories, but I'm not going to go into all that. Yeah. Um, so, opponents of contemporary, of contemporary psychiatry like uh, Peter Bergen claim that the psychi uh, psychiatric medication prescribed to Harris may have exacerbated his aggressiveness. Aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. Toxicology reports confirm that Harris had Lovex in the bloodstream at the time of the, of the shooting, but as Cable had no medications in the system. Okay. Also, as part of the diversion, Harris began therapy with a psychologist and psychologist and psychiatrist. In one scheduled meeting, he was appointed psychiatrist. Harris had complaints of depression, anger, and suicidal thoughts, for which he was prescribed the antidepressant Zola. However, after complaining, complaining of feeling restless and having trouble concentrating, his doctor switched him to Levox, a similar selective serotonin reputate inhibitor. Harris also wanted to join the United States Marine Corps, but his application was rejected shortly before the shooting. Because he had taken, he had taken that medicine. Mm. According to the recruiting officer, Harris did not know about this rejection. The Brooks Brown said that he did. Harris continued his um, scheduled meetings with the psychologist until a few months before the massacre. Um, early stories following the massacre charged the school administrator and teachers at Columbine had long condoned bullying by Jack. As this explained as this explained the motive. The links between bullying and school violence has 
attracted increasing attention. Um, accounts from various parents and school staff staffers reportedly bullying in the school. Reportedly, Harris and Kribo were regularly called faggots. Kribo said on the basement tapes, you've been giving us shit for years. And when talking to his father about Jack's past day, they sure give Eric hell. Brown also noted Harris was born with mouth, chest, and then this made him reluctant to take his shirt off in gym class, and other students would laugh at him. Um, Nathan Benderer, a friend of Kribault, and Alisa Owen, who knew Harris, noted that they were picked on. Benderer claimed that a cup of pickle matter was thrown at him. At them. Oh. Yeah. It had been alleged that Harris and Kribo were once both confronted by a group of students at CHS who sprayed them with ketchup while referring to them as faggots and queers. Kribo told his mother it had been the worst day of his life. According to Brown, this happened while the teachers watched. They couldn't fight back. They, would, they wore the ketchup all day and went home covered with it, according to class and child. Laughing? Laughing? And it involved senior pelting people with ketchup covered tampons in the campus. This is crazy. Mm. Um, he also stated a lot of the tension in the school came from the classes above us. There were people fearful of walking by a table where you knew you didn't belong. Stuff like that. Certain groups certainly got across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, there was, of course, there was memorial. And, I mean, there was so much stuff that there was people saying that um, there was two, there was two um, students that, I can't remember, some church made them a martyr because they said they were religious in the, I know one of them, mm -hmm. but I'm like, Really, you, you know, and then stuff like the parents coming out that they were killed before because they were Christian, you know, trying to make them martyrs, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. It's like a lot of BS that we really yeah. don't need to talk about. Um, and of course, gun control came into measures, you know, shortly after. But I later found out that as much as I, you know, we understand and know that gun control is an issue in our country, um, it hasn't really been taken care of because this was in 1999, There's no need and no reason good enough to take somebody else's life, my opinion. Um, I, there's really nothing to really like say exactly because there's nothing that's gonna make up for it, make it go away, yeah. make it calm, yeah. you know. Even still to this day, a lot of things that have happened recently are basically compared to the Columbine. Like, 
Was it worse than Columbine? Um, it was close to being as bad as Columbine. You know, it's... And then you hear it in movies as well. And they're like, oh, don't go pull a Columbine. You know, so it's it's yeah. like... Yeah. We... We make it seem, you know, where it's the star thingy. And then we... We try to downplay it. We try to, you know, say, listen, learn from the mistakes. And it's it's just, we just need to have more of an open communication with our children, in my opinion, so that way we know what the signs are, where the signs are, how can we help to stop this and prevent it, you know? Um, so, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, whatever whatever has happened since then is not enough um, because, as you know, not so long ago there was a school shooting or, or that we've heard of. I don't know much about it, and I'm not going to get into it. But um, mm-hmm. whatever that gun control issue that they're that they're um, talking about is not working. Yeah. Um, and as late as Sandy Hook, they were talking about arming teachers with guns, and I'm like. Is that really the answer? You know, but we could get into all that and be here another three hours. True. Um, yeah. As much as they were targeted and bullied, which is anybody from 30 years and on, probably younger than that, can tell you a story of how badly they were bullied in school. Oh, from yeah. middle school to high school, even elementary, we really wanted to find something. Um, there's still no reason for it. True. And Still, we have cases that, you know, they were all troubled. They, whoever did any part that this school shouldn't have was troubled in some way. Mental health, um, bullying, isolation, and the list goes on and on and on. And on. Yeah. The, the true thing is that we, we, have to discuss, we have to discuss how to stop it and not have cases like this um innocent people dying for no reason. True. That's my last word. So, I think that basically wraps up this whole podcast um, today. Um, It was very gut-wrenching, being honest. You got me where it was like, what? You know? Um, I hope you guys um enjoy hearing the podcast from us um, and continue to listen to us. Like we said, where we have the sponsor, um, which is Anchor. Um, and then we have, we also have a listener support. So if you want to help support us, there is a link at the bottom of the description that you can be able to click and you can help us with getting more better material um, to be, be able to proceed with furthering our podcast um if you want to um tell us about uh i'm tired if you want to give us a case or give us your point of view or you know give us advice um you can email us at intentions 21 at or you can visit our instagram at murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast 
capital M, capital I, True Cry Podcast. Uh, so thank you guys, and we'll hear you in the next one. Bye. Bye-bye.